0: Um, Let's get into the book of Acts, and uh, let's start by remembering where we've been so far. So far in the book of Acts, we've remembered that Jesus Christ died, resurrected from death, and appeared to his disciples. Uh, After his appearance to his disciples, he ascended into heaven. And before he ascended, he told his disciples that they were to go into Jerusalem and to wait. And what they were waiting for, what they needed to wait for was that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and give them power to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so... What did we read in Acts one? The disciples obeyed Jesus. They went back into Jerusalem. While they were in Jerusalem, they chose Matthias to replace Judas as one of the twelve apostles, and that's where we left off. We left off with them at the end of chapter one, just waiting in Jerusalem, uh, as Jesus had told them to do, waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to pick up in Acts chapter two. Uh, Acts chapter two is kind of a long chapter. It's basically broke down into three sections. Um, Section 1 is kind of verses 1 through 21, which tells us about the the coming of the Holy Spirit, the the events of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. Section 2 is verses 22 through 41. That's where Peter gives his Pentecost sermon, and really he gives us the explanation of Pentecost. And then section 3 is verses uh, 42 through 47. And it tells us what immediately happened um, as the effects of Pentecost. So as you're looking through chapter 2, that's going to be our three sections that we work through, the events, the explanation, and the effects of Pentecost. Today, I just want to talk about the events of Pentecost. I want to talk about chapter 1, verse 1 through 21. Um, We're going to look at those 21 verses. We're going to make some important teaching points along the way. And as always, we'll end with some application and takeaways for us. So let's pick up in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. The scripture says this, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Uh, I just want to stop right here and talk about Pentecost. What, what was Pentecost? Pentecost was the Greek name for a Jewish festival called the, the Festival of Weeks or the Feast of Weeks. Um, Pentecost, the word in Greek is the word Day, uh, pente, and it really means 50th. Or the 50th day. And so what we come to understand is that Pentecost um, was occurring 50 days after uh, the beginning of Passover. And so it had been 50 days since Jesus took that Passover meal, that, uh, that last supper with his disciples in the upper room. Um, just for some historical context, which will be very important to us understanding the rest of this chapter. Uh, you need to know this. There were three major Jewish uh, pilgrimage festivals. On these pilgrimage Jewish festivals, um, they, you know, the devoted men had to make their way from wherever they lived, they had to make their way into the city of Jerusalem to do things in the temple. And so the first of those festivals was the Feast of Firstfruits, uh, that's tied in with Passover. The second was the Feast of Weeks, which was tied in with Pentecost, which is what we're going to talk about today. And then the third one was the Feast of Tents, which comes later in the year right after the Day of Atonement. And so these are the three pilgrimage festivals for which Jewish men had to make the trek, make the pilgrimage into the temple in the city of Jerusalem. So everything that we're going to read about here in Acts 2 is happening on Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. Lots of people had traveled, lots of Jews had traveled into town for these events. Now that's going to help make sense of a lot of things as we move forward. So on to verse 2. Verse 2 says, "Um, and suddenly, all right, now pay attention to that word, suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So catch what's going on right here. This is the day of Pentecost, 120 disciples or so waiting in a room together. Something supernatural happens right here. This supernatural experience, when we look at it, we can kind of think through it in three different parts. They they hear something supernatural, they see something supernatural, and then they speak something supernatural. So that's what's going on right here. The, what do they hear? Starting with what, they, what do they hear? They hear, verse 2 says, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Um, I think it's important that we see the word like there, a sound that's like a mighty rushing wind. There's a simile going on here. It's not... It's not like suddenly there was a hurricane in Jerusalem, you know, like uh, everything just kind of blew apart. There was a sound that was like a mighty rushing wind. I'm bringing that out because as you read through the Old Testament and New Testament, sometimes the Holy Spirit is referred to in conjunction with the wind. A couple examples of this, Job chapter 38. Uh, In the Old Testament, the scripture says that the Spirit of God spoke to Job through the whirlwind. If you read uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 8, the Scripture says, The wind blows wherever it pleases, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Right. So the Scripture says that the Holy Spirit is kind of like the wind. Here's the thing. When it comes to the wind, here's one thing we know. You can't control what it does, but you always know when it's moving. Right? You can't control what it does, but you always know when it's moving. Guys, the same is true with the Holy Spirit. We can't control what the Holy Spirit does, but we always know when the Holy Spirit is moving. Sometimes the Holy Spirit moves suddenly. It's like surprise. You know, It just comes at moments when you're not necessarily expecting. Just boom, like it's there. As I, as I think through my own experience in life, you know the holy the, the surprise movements of the holy spirit have worked in different ways there are vivid memories in my mind of being out to dinner with Rachel and we're just talking about the lord and th- what the lord is teaching us in the word and all the, my all of a sudden my wife's just overcome with the presence of the holy spirit and she'll just start to cry i remember you know, uh, a few years ago, this was probably 2013 or so, I was preaching on an Easter Sunday. We made a gospel call and just said, hey, anybody who wants to believe on Christ or has believed on Christ and and wants to be baptized today, come and you can talk with our pastors. And we'll, we we want to be able to baptize you today. On that day, it blew my mind. We had like over 60 people baptized in one day, just unplanned. Lord, the Lord just did it. Um, you know, it was just uh, these things. I remember one time I was getting ready to preach and... Uh, you know, I was sitting in the front row getting ready to preach, and uh, a guy came up to me, and music hadn't even started yet, and he came running up to me. He was just bawling, and he was like, I need to be saved. And I'm like, awesome. He's like, no, like right now I need to be saved. He's like, and so, you know, I'm like, i got to go preach in a minute, but I, who cares, we're just going to delay things. And we sat right there in the front row. He gave his life to Christ right then. Like the church service hadn't even started yet. You know, the Holy Spirit just moves sometimes. I got a text message last night. Uh, from my mom telling me that one of my family members, who we've been praying for for a while now, uh, this past week just came, got overcome with conviction and and, the, and the, the call of the Holy Spirit on his life. And he went uh, into meet with a pastor in the middle of the week and just said, I need to be saved. And it, it wasn't even a Sunday, right? Nobody had even been in a church service or anything. It's just the Holy Spirit just does what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The Holy Spirit is like wind, unexpectedly, uncontrollably, sovereignly, suddenly just moving in power as he wills. And they heard something supernatural. It was the sound of a mighty rushing rushing wind, the spirit of God beginning to move. They didn't just hear something, they also saw something. Verse three says that they saw uh, that divided tongues as of fire appeared to them. So they saw these divided tongues as a fire. What what are these tongues? Tongues in the original Greek language, the word is glossa. It's where we get our idea of of glossary. Uh, Sometimes um, tongues, when, when glossa is used in the New Testament, sometimes it means your literal tongue in your mouth. Other times it means languages that are spoken. And so you have to read in the context and kind of figure out what it means. But here, it means that the apostles, the people gathered together on Pentecost, they saw something that looked like literal tongues of fire. This is not hard for us to imagine. When you imagine flames, uh, you kind of see them flickering, almost looking like a tongue, just licking up, you know, whatever it's burning. They They saw something that looked like tongues of fire. And I'm pointing that out to you because... Just like the wind, fire is also represented uh, throughout the scripture as um, being connected with the presence of God. So when you read in the Old Testament, like in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, God spoke to Moses through a bush that was what? On fire. Exodus 13, God leads the Israelites through the night while they're wandering in the wilderness by a pillar of fire. Fire. Exodus 19, God descends on a mountain to give Moses the law. And uh, it says that the mountain was covered in fire. Exodus chapter 40 talks about the tabernacle, um, the presence in the tabernacle, the presence of God was shown by a constant flame of fire. So fire often represents the the presence of God. And so that's what we see here at Pentecost. The the disciples, they, they saw something supernatural, divided tongues as a fire. So they don't just hear or see something, they also speak something supernatural. Verse 4 says, and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so as we said, sometimes the word tongues means literal tongues, other times it means languages. And so here, it obviously means languages. As we look at the next few verses, we're going to see that the context shows us that people were there, they were from other regions, they spoke different languages, but they were hearing the apostles speak in their own languages. So what does this mean? This means that this expression of tongues was discernible, understandable, translatable language. This was this was not babbling in tongues as we sometimes think. Think of it like this. Um, sometimes I get uh, invited to preach at Dayton Chinese Christian Church. I love the people there. I love uh, the times I've been able to preach over there. Uh, I, sometimes I wonder, you know, I think they got the wrong guy when they invited me because my last name's Wing and I think they thought I was Chinese. And uh, I showed up and I, you know, I can't speak Mandarin like they do. But imagine, you know, the, many of them speak Mandarin. Imagine if I went there to preach and suddenly the power of God, the Holy Spirit just came over me and I was suddenly preaching and the words coming out of my mouth were Mandarin, right? That would be supernatural because I don't speak Mandarin, But it would also be discernible to them because they do speak Mandarin. That's something similar as to what was going on. That's what was happening at the day of Pentecost. They spoke something supernatural, the tongues of other languages. So kind of laying some of this foundation about tongues and languages and the pilgrimage festivals, all of that helps us understand what's going to happen in the next verses. Pick up with me in verse 5. Verse 5 says, Now, there were dwelling in jerusalem jews devout men from every nation under heaven right these this is what the pilgrimage festivals were all about the devout men coming from other nations other areas coming into jerusalem for the festival of weeks and in just a moment we're going to hear where all these groups of people had come from verse 6 says and at this sound right the sound like the mighty rushing wind the multitude came together they were hearing these, the sound of these people speaking in other languages. The multitude came together and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Right? So, so people are bewildered. Verse 7 in just a minute is going to say that they were uh, amazed and astonished. So this isn't bewildered in a bad way. This is bewildered in a good way. Why? Because each person in the crowd was hearing the apostles and the disciples speak in their own language. And here's what I want you to see. They are not bewildered by confusion. They are bewildered because of clarity. And I want you to know something. When the Holy Spirit of God moves, when the Holy Spirit moves, it leads to clarity, not confusion. Okay? Do things decently and in order. The Apostle Paul will say later in his letter to the Corinthians, which we'll talk about as we go. Well, all the people are hearing clearly in their own language. Verse 7 um, Paul says, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Um, So, you know, know, the people are asking, how how can these Galileans, mainly the region of Galilee, known as kind of a lower class, uneducated, simple area, how can these Galileans speak our language? Apparently, these Galileans kind of had their own way of speaking, you know, probably talked funny. Something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like people were asking like, what's up with these hicks? Uh, speaking like this, these uneducated people from Galilee were showing up and they were speaking multiple languages. The crowds were amazed, right? They were bewildered by this. So I want you to just don't miss the basic, sometimes we can get so caught in the details we missed some basic points. As I've said it before, I'll say it again today. God uses ordinary people, Galileans, simple people. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things when they are living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And at Pentecost, people from all over the world were hearing the message in their own language from these ordinary men. Verse nine tells us where all these people were from. Verse nine says, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, which by the way, proselytes are people who converted to Judaism, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So look at all these places these people were from. You know, we read these and most of us in the room probably have no idea where these regions are, where these places are, or what it means that you know, like when these places are listed. I just wanted to put a little map up that gives you a graphic picture of what this means, um, if we have it. So this is a map, kind of showing the Mediterranean Sea and Jerusalem, and then where these you know, people all came from. They had all come from these various regions, you know, great distances into the region of Judea, into the city of Jerusalem. And here, people are hearing the mighty works of God, and they're hearing it, you know, as if there's one voice and one language, right? And I want you to catch, this is a major, major moment in God's redemptive plan of history to save the world. Um, Think about what happened back in the beginning in the book of Genesis. You read in Genesis chapter 11, you know, it comes, Genesis chapter 11, Noah and the flood had come, and God spared Noah's family, and generations, you know, uh, multiplied, and, and there was family after family, generation after generation. And as time went on, by the time you get into Genesis 11, people had become very selfish and sinful. And in their rebellion, what did they do? They decided to build a tower, They wanted to build a tower to the heavens because we want to build a name for ourselves, they said. They were getting prideful, wanting to be God-like. And so God punishes them for their pride. And part of the punishment that comes upon them for their pride is that he confuses their language and scatters them around the world. Right. So up until Genesis 11... It appears to us that everyone spoke one language. Everybody spoke the same language. But at the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11, God confused their tongues. And so they were separated, scattered around the world with different languages. But what's going on here at Pentecost? At Pentecost, people are now communicating as if there's one language. Everyone speaking and hearing as if uh, they, they can all understand each other. In other words, Pentecost is a reversal of Babel. You get it? Pentecost is a reversal of battle. Here's what I want you to understand. Where the spirit of God is working, sin's curse is being broken. Where the spirit of God is at work, the curse of sin is being reversed. Pentecost was an incredible moment for the church. It's a a picture of Revelation 5 and 7 where we see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation all singing the same song. Praise be to the lamb who was slain. All with one voice Beautiful picture here at Pentecost. People were hearing in their own language, pick up in verse 12. Verse 12 says, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mockingly said, they're filled with new wine, right? These dudes these Galileans already hit the bars, you know, they've been out drinking. Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And before we move, past, you know, you can pick up on little nuggets of truth in the scripture. Peter is the one standing up to address them. This is a significant moment. Why is that? It's because remember who Peter was. Peter is the one who had totally failed just 50 days prior. He denied Christ when a a young teenage girl said, do you know him? Are you with Jesus? He said, I don't know him. He was nervous, he was scared and he denied that he knew Christ. Now what's he doing? Now he's standing up in front of the masses of people. And he's preaching the gospel boldly. Guys, what happened to Peter? What happened to, you know what happened to Peter? Peter met the resurrected Christ and got filled with the Holy Spirit. And boldness and power and courage came upon him. And he's preaching the gospel. God, as we've said before, has a way of using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And right here, God is about to do something extraordinary through Peter. And Peter, look what Peter says. Peter in verse 14, he's he's preaching. This this is the first, this is the first recorded sermon in the history of the church. Okay? Here's what he says: Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. All right, Peter's saying, you know, it's it's only 9 a.m. The third hour of the day was 9 a.m. Peter's saying, these guys, you know. They haven't hit the bars yet. Bars aren't even open this early. But this, here's what Peter says. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So, what's Peter doing right here? Peter is about to quote the Old Testament prophet named Joel. Joel's words are recorded in the Old Testament, written hundreds of years before the time of Christ. And If you go back and read Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32, you can read the exact same words that Peter quotes right here had been written down by Joel many years before. And Peter quotes him, and here's what he says in verse 17. Joel says, in the last days, it shall be, God declares. In the last days, last days, we... uh, We don't need to be confused about what the last days are. The scripture talks about the last days over and over again. As we read the scriptures, the last days are a time period between Christ's first coming and his second coming. So Christ hasn't come back yet in his second coming. So we are still, right now, after 2,000 years, we are living in the last days. Hebrews 1 talks about this. 1 Peter 1. 1 Corinthians 10. Lots to understand about the last days and... uh, I hope next Sunday, if I have more time, we're going to get into this a little bit more. But for today, Peter mentions that something important is going to happen in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will do what? Pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Well, what just happened in the previous verses? The Holy Spirit had now been poured out on the apostles, and they began to prophesy. Verse 11 says that they were proclaiming the mighty works of God. No, don't be confused about that. Prophesying, proclaiming the mighty works of God. And from this day forward, from this day forward, the Lord is pouring out his Holy Spirit on everyone who would believe. Right, this, is, this is not the way it worked in the Old Testament In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would momentarily come on some of God's people every now and then, like the prophets or such, when they had a word to declare from the Lord. But here at Pentecost, we have the Holy Spirit coming on all who believe. So what's going on? Joel's prophecy is being fulfilled right here at the day of Pentecost. Peter continues to tell them about what's going to happen in the last days. Peter says in verse... 19. He is still quoting Joel, okay? Uh, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the new moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. So Joel 2 is prophesying and Peter is now reiterating that in the last days, there's going to come the last day, the great day of the Lord, And in this great day of the Lord, whether it's one day or a shorter time period, God is going to bring final judgment on the earth. This is going to be a terrible day. It's going to be a day of calamity, judgment, and eventually God is going to judge the living and the dead. Some will be welcomed into his kingdom forever and others will be cast into the outer darkness of hell. And so everybody in this room, we need to know this. The great day of the Lord is coming and it will be a great and terrible day of judgment. And you and I need to be ready. It is closer now than it ever has been before. It's been 2,000 years of church history from Pentecost till now. The great day of the Lord is closer now than it's ever been. And who will be saved on that day? Who will be spared from eternal judgment? Joel tells us, Peter preaches it. Verse 21 says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Saved. We are saved by calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want everybody in this room to hear this. The people of that day were not saved just by simply being a Jew. And you and I are not saved simply because we were born and raised in Christian families. We are not saved because we're good people who do good works. And and God, you know, just kind of accepts us because our good deeds outweighed our bad in the end. We are saved because we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not saved because, you know, you've uh, joined some particular church or part of some particular denomination. Salvation comes only by calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So some takeaways for us today. Here's the first takeaway, so important. This is where we have to start with our first takeaway, first application. If you've never done so, you must call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. Don't just think you're saved. Don't just assume you're saved. Think in your life, have I ever called upon the name of the Lord? Lord, be my Savior. Save me. Like the criminal on the cross, Lord Jesus, remember me. Remember me. He wasn't, he didn't live a good life, right? He was a criminal dying on a cross. He didn't get baptized. He said, Lord, remember me. Have you called out upon the name of the Lord? And what does the scripture say here in verse 21? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. Everyone, it doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter your past. Doesn't matter your failures, doesn't matter your regrets, doesn't matter your shame. It doesn't matter anything about you. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you've never called upon him, call upon him today and let today be the day of your salvation. Anybody in this room thankful for their salvation. Praise God that he is convicted our hearts through the Holy Spirit, and we've called on him. Those of us who have been saved, we need to remember this as a second takeaway. Remember, God can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Guys, we need to remember, who was Peter? Peter was a common man, a common fisherman, an impulsive guy who had made some bad decisions sometimes, and he was a major fear, spiritual failure at moments. Yet it is now Peter who is filled with the Holy Spirit and preaching the gospel. And in just a mo- in next week's sermon, we're going to see 3,000 people respond and are saved. Guys, God sometimes uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. As I was praying about this last night, it just struck me. and I wanted to just pastorally share this. The prophecy of Joel says that in the last days, God will use sons, daughters, and young men. The words young stood out to me because it's on my heart. God reminded me that throughout history, some of the greatest movements of God, almost all of the great movements of God have started among young people. Just just start with Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was 30 years old when he started his ministry. All of his disciples were younger than him. We get this picture of, you know, the disciples sitting around the last supper with Jesus and they all look like old guys. These are young guys sitting around with Jesus at the Last Supper. Martin Luther was under the age of 30 when he started the Protestant Reformation. George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards were under 30 when God used them to start the First Great Awakening. The revivals in Wales in the early 1900s saw nearly 100,000 converts of young people within five months The Jesus movement of the late 60s and 70s in America saw countless kind of college age, young adult hippies coming to know Jesus and going crazy with the gospel. The present day spread of the gospel in India and in other parts of the world has to do with children who were raised in orphanages. They grow up as teenagers and young adults and they Uh, have now learned and been taught the word of God in these Christian orphanages and they go out and preach the gospel and people are saved and house churches are starting all around the world. Guys, if you're a young person in the room today, I want you to remember this. I want you to know this. Often the great movements of God are movements among young people. Why can't he do it again? Why can't he? He can do it again, right? The Spirit blows where it it will. The, The Spirit of God can do it. Why not now? Why not us? I would love to see the Lord do that. Sometimes God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And he does this by empowering them through his Holy Spirit. So what's the third takeaway for us? Here's our third takeaway. Guys, we need to continue to acknowledge our belief in and desire for the Holy Spirit. We need to acknowledge our belief in, we're pretty good at that, but our desire for the Holy Spirit. Guys, I think, you, you know, if you've been here in this church for the four years or so that I've been here, I think you know that my heart's desire is to faithfully preach and teach God's word, but you've probably also picked, on, picked up on that there's this growing desire in me to see the Holy Spirit of God move I've heard people uh, say before that Pentecostalism is experience in search of theology, but that fundamentalism is theology in search of experience. And I think that there's some truth to that statement, but you can, you can kind of fall in a ditch on either side, right? We, we don't want to be experience-only people like the masses who loved Jesus' miracles but then didn't want to accept any of his teaching. We don't want to be experience only people. We also don't want to be mere biblical academics, right? Like, like the Pharisees who, who knew and loved the scriptures' teachings, but they totally missed life in Christ, right? So I've said it before, I'll say it again. Accept the statement or not, I hope that we become charismatics with a Bible seatbelt. You know what I'm saying? Charismatics with a Bible seatbelt. Yes. Church family, we need to believe in and desire the experience of the Holy Spirit, his indwelling, his filling, his empowering, his moving, his sealing, his teaching, his convicting power. Yes, we want that, and we want, yes, we want to experience it all within the boundaries and the teachings of Scripture. God has poured out his Spirit on all flesh. And if you're a believer today, that means his Spirit is poured out on you and me. And so for us, do we desire the Spirit? Because the scripture says we can quench the Spirit. We can grieve the Spirit. Do we desire the Holy Spirit? He intends for us to feel and experience his presence in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. I, just, you know, just like, just like you can know about the rain, but there's another thing to walk through a downpour. You know? It's the way it is with the Holy Spirit. You can know all about the Holy Spirit, but it's another thing to sense his outpouring in your life. So let's acknowledge our belief in and our desire for the Holy Spirit. And the last takeaway for us today before I close, I'll just leave you with this. Let's appreciate both the value and the uniqueness of the day of Pentecost the value and the uniqueness of the day of Pentecost. Guys, the day of Pentecost was an incredible, incredible day for the church. We typically think of the most important days of the church as Jesus' birth, his death, and his resurrection, and rightly so. But let's not forget about the importance of this day. Had had the day of Pentecost not happened... The church would never have been born. Pentecost is the church's birthday, right? So when we sing songs like we sing here, like the song King of Kings that we sing sometime, it has that line where it says, then the church of Christ was born and the spirit lit the flame, right? That's talking about Pentecost, the birthday of the church. And we're gonna see in next week's text, thousands of people get saved and the world has changed. What a valuable day. But we must know this. It wasn't just a valuable day. It was a unique day. It was a unique day. Remember last week or two weeks ago, I talked about when we read Acts, we need to learn to read with a mindset of prescriptive versus descriptive text. And I want you to hear this. Never again in Scripture are events described in the exact way um, that they are here in the day of Pentecost. They're never described they're also never prescribed this way. Like we're not told, once again, to go and sit in Jerusalem and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not instructed to uh, you know, wait and, and, and look for the fiery tongues and the, the mighty rushing winds. You know, like that's, that's a one-time event. So we need not always expect to see these things like fiery tongues and mighty winds. Do we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes, yes. Do we want to boldly share the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do we want to see the Holy Spirit move, convict people of sin, and bring them to salvation? Yes. But should we expect to see another exact day of Pentecost? No. It was a unique day in fulfillment of the prophecies of Joel. So let's appreciate the value and the uniqueness of the last day of the day of Pentecost. There's so much more that I could share and uh, about the day of Pentecost, and we're going to get more into it next week, Lord willing. Um, but for today, here's what I, I, trust that the Lord will speak to you through the power of his Holy Spirit, which he has poured out on all who believe. And if you're a believer here today, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. So let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can open the book of Acts together and hear the ways in which you moved in the early church. and Lord, thank you for the wonderful gift of the person of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I want to pray that you would make our church a church that desires and welcomes and loves um, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Father, I uh, pray that by your grace, we would experience mighty movements of your spirit, whether they are privately in our homes or publicly in our worship services or in the most sudden, unexpected moments or in the planned gatherings of our church, Lord, we say together, we want your Holy Spirit to move among us. And Lord, I pray right now that if there is anybody in this service today who has never called upon the name of the Lord and been saved, I pray that your spirit would compel them to call upon the mighty name of Jesus for salvation today. Lord, move among us. Those who have believed, move among us. We welcome, we welcome the true work of your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.